Doxa, I have some amazing, life-changing news for you today. Jesus is risen and Jesus is alive. Anybody excited about that? And the truth is, guys, because Jesus is alive, this means that our hope is alive, our joy is alive, our future is alive, because our great God is, in fact, alive. That the sadness of Friday, the silence of Saturday, has erupted into joy and celebration on this Easter Sunday because Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God through his resurrection. Amen? Amen. So, guys, if you can't tell, I'm a little bit excited, okay? We get to be together today. This is the biggest day in the history of the world, around the biggest person throughout the history of the world, and his name is Jesus. And so for us today as Christians here at Doxa, guys, this is like our Super Bowl, right? It's, it's exciting, right? And I tried to incorporate Super Bowl stuff of like fireworks, beer, and brats, but the pastors that thought that that wouldn't be a good idea. So we settled on Greenbush Donuts, all right? And I'm excited for that because that's a little taste of heaven, right? Amen? A lot of amens this morning, okay? But guys, we have a lot to celebrate today. And if you're new, guys, it's great to have you part of the Doxa family. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just awesome to have you celebrate with us today. So here's what we're going to do. All right, I'm just going to pray, and then I have the great joy of giving you good news, incredible news, news that can change your life and will change your life. So let's pray, and then we'll open up the Bible together. Father, we love you. We thank you that Jesus is alive, and Jesus, we thank you for your mission to come and to seek us and to serve us and to save us. And Holy Spirit, I pray today that as we open up the scriptures that you've inspired to be written, that you would illuminate it to us, that you would teach us about you, that you would teach us about Jesus so that we can rejoice in you, celebrate you, honor you, worship you until that day where we see you face to face. And so God, our prayer is that you would just be glorified in this place. Show us your glory through the man Jesus Christ. And we pray this, and all God's people said, amen. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles and find your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, all right? And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The, we'll put the passage up here on the screen. But guys, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you the gift of a Bible. Every church, every family kind of has its thing. We're kind of Bible people. And so every time we gather like this, we really just believe that this is a book that God wrote. And we just gather around the Bible seeking to hear from God and respond to him, thereby becoming the men and women that he has created us to be. And so if you want to grab a Bible for yourself or your family, a couple of them, you can stop at Info Corner at the end of the coffee bar, and that'd be a great gift that we could give you this Easter Sunday, okay? But as we celebrate Easter today, guys, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know that in a room this size, and some of you are here and you love Jesus and you're part of the church and this is a normal part of the rhythm of your life. I know that there's some of you here that you're just here because your parents brought you here, your girlfriend kind of said, this is our next step, and you're like, okay, I'll do whatever you want, right? And you just, whatever. We're all in different places. And so just so we're all on the same page, resurrection means that someone was physically alive then dead for a period of time, and then returned to life, never to die again. And this is what we celebrate on Easter. And this is what gives credence and authority and weight and security in all that Jesus said as he is the only one in the history of the world who declared that he would die and then come back to life. And as he did that, all of his claims to be God were validated and vindicated, and that's why we worship him today. But as we talk about Jesus Christ, okay, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know who Jesus is, 
you're going to hear a lot about him today, okay? That there are like over-under bets happening right now about how many times I'm going to say Jesus. It's going to be a lot. So if you're betting, know that, okay? But Jesus Christ, he's a man who has changed the world like no one else throughout the history of the world. He lived around 2,000 years ago in relative obscurity. He was poor, homeless. But in the wake of his life, we have Christianity, the largest movement of any kind in the history of the world, that there really is no one like Jesus. And this is significant because today, when we talk about and we think about significant people in history, like we have many people, maybe even in this room, you'll, you'll kind of create the proverbial Mount Rushmore of, of great people, right? And so you have like Gandhi, you have Mother Teresa, throw Oprah up there, and if we got some room, we'll throw Jesus up there as well. But I need you to know that Jesus doesn't fit on this Mount Rushmore of great people. He's in a category unto himself. And this is all because of who he is. It's because of his identity. And in our world today, all right, there are many people who have many different thoughts about who Jesus is. But we have to understand that Jesus, in fact, does have an identity. And it's not up for grabs to be determined by us. And so Jesus Christ, and I want you to know that in his name alone, we learn about this man and who he actually is. The name Jesus literally means God is our Savior. And there's a good chance that some of you are here today, you've been out of church for a while, this is like your first experience with church, everybody's got their hands up and doing crazy stuff, we've got a bathtub on the stage, and you're like, what is going on? Why is all these people so worked up? Here's what I'll tell you. We have a Savior in Jesus we absolutely have a savior in Jesus and my goal today is for you to understand what this means and not just to understand it intellectually but to grasp this and experience this today. And so his name is Jesus, God our savior, but also Christ, all right? And Christ is not his last name. This is not the name on the back of the jersey. This is his title. Christ literally means the anointed one, the chosen one, the special one. And the truth is, is that Jesus is special. Jesus is significant, that he isn't just a good man that lived a long time ago, but he's the God man that's alive today, amen? This is who Jesus is. And the storyline of the Bible, and really the storyline of human history, is this, is that there is one God, and that he is the creator of everything. And he created all of us in his image, and what that means is that you have never locked eyes with someone who doesn't mean a significant amount to God, that he created us all with dignity and value and worth and purpose. And he made us all, all of humanity, to be in relationship with him. But instead of choosing God, we chose sin. Every single one of us. Because the biggest problem in all of our lives, and I know that there are significant problems in many lives here, but I need you to understand the biggest problem, the most significant problem in all of our lives is sin. And this is so significant because for in order for us to fully celebrate today, we need to have an adequate understanding of our sin. And sin is really just anything that God is not. And it's a very real part of all of our lives, that we all do things that we shouldn't do, we don't do things that we should do. The Bible calls this sin, and the nature of sin is that it separates it separates us from each other, and it separates us from God. And sin, while we don't necessarily like to talk about it, it's really helpful to talk about it because it explains why our lives are so painful at times. It explains why our world is the way that it is, just broken and hurtful, and why there are tears, and why there is suffering, and why there is a, a, oppression and injustice. 
It's sin. And sin, if not mediated, leads to eternal separation from God, which is the terrible reality of hell. And this is the journey that every single one of us is on, apart from God intervening. But I want you to hear this. And this is where the fireworks were gonna come in with the Super Bowl stuff, but I want you to hear this, okay? In the midst of humanity's sin, in separation from God, that God lovingly came into human history as the man Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I should die because of sin. And then he was miraculously resurrected, where through faith, he takes our sin and he gives us his perfection, thereby bringing us back to God. Guys, this is Easter. Because consider this, okay? The truth is, is if Jesus is, did not rise from the dead, nothing about today makes any sense. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and we are the most pitied and foolish people out there. And this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. The Bible is like the most honest book in the world, that apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to another good yet dead man who is therefore really no considerable help to any of us. I mean, plainly stated, Jesus without the resurrection means that a few billion people that are gathered around the world today to celebrate Easter and to worship Jesus as God are just some of the most gullible, foolish, pathetic people, and their hope and their faith is just useless. And so all that to say, the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus is without question profoundly significant. That if the resurrection is actually true, all of our eternities hang with faith in Jesus. But if it's not, we're absolutely foolish people. And so here's where I'm at, and here's where I've been for years, is that, guys, we better be certain about the validity of the resurrection so that we can make a good decision about what to do with our lives. And the best way for us to examine and consider the resurrection for the purpose of certainty is not through the lens of spirituality or philosophy, but it's through history. And this is, in fact, what we're going to do today. All right, and the way that we're going to do this is by looking at the gospel according to Luke. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Luke was a man who loved and followed Jesus, but he was also a physician and a historian. And he records all that Jesus said and did through the lens of history. And as Luke writes this account, he does not base the credibility of his writing on just religious inspiration or anything like that, but the presentation of a history that can withstand and to this day has withstood even the most intense academic scrutiny. And according to the first chapter of Luke, he opens up and he says, I'm giving all of this to you so that you can have certainty about the man Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer for all of us today. And so let's read this resurrection account and see how this can produce certainty around who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them, in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. 
And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Okay, so this is the simple historical account of the resurrection. And in this, Luke gives us six historical realities by which he means to give us certainty in our faith and in our Jesus and in our eternity. But let me just say this, okay? As we hear Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not difficult for us to see why some people are just kind of tempted to just dismiss this as, as like an old wives' tale, right? I mean, no matter how Christian you are, this is just crazy, right? I mean, this is like a Marvel movie on steroids. That doesn't make any sense, but this is like, it's just, it's insane. A dead man rises and saves the world. And if you look back to verse 11, even the apostles didn't believe the report at first because it seemed like nonsense. And so I'll just say this, if you're here and that's kind of where you're at right now, and you're like, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. It, doesn't, it seems crazy. I want you to know it's okay. I love that you're here. It was like 16 years ago that I was sitting there in a place like, really, you guys are all doing that thing where you, mm-hmm, that's great, amen, like, really? But I want you to know that if you're there, it's great that you're here. It's my honor to teach you the Bible. But I want you to know that through observation and just like critical research, you won't be able to stay in that place. Luke wrote everything he did to give us certainty that although it might be hard to believe, it's emphatically true and historically verifiable. And as we look at Luke's history today, I want to show you six historical, biblical, circumstantial realities that will achieve this goal of giving us ultimate certainty in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, again, I love that you're here. It is my prayer that as you hear this, that you would see this and that you would come to see that Jesus is the risen king. And you might be thinking, are you really trying to convert me to Christianity? 100%. God loves you, he's made a way for you. And here are the, is the first reason that you should believe in the resurrection. Number one, look back to verse one. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now this is so incredibly important. Guys, do you know that we really don't know where the actual tomb of Jesus is located? We have a few good guesses as we can trace back historical records to the historical man, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man that gave his tomb up to Jesus to be buried in. But we aren't completely sure because the tomb of Jesus was never enshrined. And if you just step back and think about this, guys, this is very different from other tombs and places of all other major religious founders. That today, you can travel the world and you can go to tombs of religious founders, and you can know for certain that their bodies are buried there because people have been visiting there and consistently throughout the years in worshiping and honoring these men after they died. And historians and cultural anthropologists, they've done extensive study on this and can show you religious leaders' tombs all over the world throughout history. For, for example, all right, the founder of Judaism, Abraham, he's buried in a city named Hebron, and many go there to remember him. People who follow Buddhism can go to a place in India where some of Buddha's created or cremated ashes remain. And while his 
body was somehow scattered around to different places, we know that there are some there for sure because people have been visiting and worshiping there for years. Muhammad of Islam is buried in Medina and in the same way that you can go there today and worship him. And I could keep going, but the point is this, guys, do you know who's in Abraham's, in Buddha's, in Muhammad's tombs? Abraham, Buddha, and Muhammad, not a trick question. All right, do you know who is in Jesus's tomb? Nobody, nobody's there, he is alive. And that's why we don't know where his tomb is because there was no point of enshrining it because people didn't care to go to a living man's tomb. Jesus is alive. Number two, verse, verse one again, look back. But on the first day of the week, I want you to underline that in your Bible, the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. After the resurrection of Jesus, worship forever changed. All right, the ancient historian Pliny the Younger recorded that after the resurrection, people began to gather at sunrise on Sundays to worship Jesus. Now, you need to understand how radical this is. See, for the Jews, the Sabbath, which was observed and used for worship on Saturdays, the last day of the week, was a huge deal for generations. This was the tradition that they had and it was very, very, very sacred. You would worship on the Sabbath. And even more, one of the 10 commandments forbids the worship of any false god except for the one true God. And so for a Jew to begin to worship God or Jesus as God on a Sunday, a non-Sabbath day, something major would have needed to happen. I mean, they're violating two major things about their religion. And Jews understood rightly at this time that if you worship the wrong God, this was a ticket straight to hell. And, and we know that this shift in worship actually happened as we look at secular history. All right, the, the historian Lucian of Samosota, he recorded that multitudes of people, including Jews, began worshiping Jesus as God after his resurrection. The reality is there's really no explanation for the shift of Jewish worship to Jesus as God apart from the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the burden of proof is just on you, is just to say, like, how else do you explain why so many intensely religious people who love the one true God all of a sudden start to worship Jesus as God and change a national practice of worship? The entire world religion changed after Jesus resurrected. And even more, just consider Jesus' family and the way that their worship changed. I mean, Jesus' family actually began to worship him as God after his resurrection. And if you know your Bible, again, this is really, really significant because before his resurrection, Jesus' family thought he was just crazy. They would hear him on his teaching circuits and he'd be calling himself God and they're not thinking, wow, this is really cool. They're like, he's insane. We need to get him a bed in a padded room and a stuffed animal, right? He's Looney Tunes. But as we see, Jesus' own mother, Mary, a devout Jew, after the resurrection, we see her with the disciples in Acts chapter one, and she's praying to Jesus, her son, as God. And later on, we even see Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, who did not believe in the claims of Jesus being God at first, but after the resurrection, they began to worship him as God. And they actually became pastors and church planners, and they write books of the Bible. And if you just think, there was no incentive for them to do that. I mean, there was no money in this, there was no power, there was no prestige, there was no anything. There was just death and persecution. The resurrection is the only logical explanation 
for all of this. Jesus is alive. Let me give you another one. Number three. Look back to verses two and three. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, underline this, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Guys, the body of Jesus was never found. And again, if you, if you study history, you'll, you'll learn that early on as an attempt to provide like an alternative explanation for the resurrection, the authorities and people of the time declared that the body was either stolen or that he was just unconscious and then he woke up. And because this is such a big deal and I'm trying to help you see Jesus for actually who he is, I wanna touch on this really quickly. All right, the reality is these explanations, they're just indefensible. All right, so in terms of the body being stolen, there's at least three reasons why this is not credible. Number one, the tomb was closed with an enormous rock and sealed by the Roman government. And history records that it was guarded by Roman soldiers. And so there's no real explanation for how a rock would be moved by unarmed women and a few of the disciples given those circumstances. Number two, if the body had been stolen, guys, a reward would have been offered and coerced people to produce the body. And it would have been taken by the disciples. And if, even if they didn't want the money, guys, these men and these women, they were tortured. And so surely they would have produced the body and not endured this, but the resurrection had changed them. There was no body to produce. And then finally, three, even if the body was stolen, you need to account for the fact that Jesus appears to a bunch of people after his resurrection, sometimes as many as 500 people at a time, after he was killed and buried. And so even if you say the body was stolen, you still have to explain how and why Jesus started walking around, hanging out, eating lunch with people. And there's a man named Josephus, okay, who is an ancient Jewish historian. He wrote a historical document called Testimonium Flavianum. And in it, he writes that Jesus appeared to people after his death. And he recorded that after Jesus' resurrection, that for 40 days he appeared to groups of people as big as 500. This was Jesus being very public. He was seen by so many people. Doxa Church, Jesus is alive. And this whole idea that Jesus was unconscious, all right, I just want you to think about, if we just look at history, and think logically, guys, this can't be right. Jesus was literally beaten, almost to death. He was crucified, he was pierced in the heart with a spear, and then he was wrapped with upwards of 50 to 100 pounds of burial cloths, and then he was laid in a tomb behind a giant rock with soldiers guarding it. And no one argues that point, historically. We're all on the same page, that this actually happened. But some people will say, that Jesus just passed out because of the pain, but then he woke up in the tomb, wrapped up. And in that moment, he, he woke up, he unwrapped his cloth from himself, he, he got up with his pierced hands and his pierced feet, and he somehow moved the big stone, waved to the guards and said, hey, and then went into town and tried to show everybody how good he was doing. Because if you just think about it, it doesn't make any sense. And respectfully, this does not hold up. And so why is there no body? The answer is, no body was ever produced because there was no dead body. Jesus is alive. Number four, look at verses three and eight. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. I want you to circle this word. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and they remembered his words. Because that word, remember, points us to the prophecies recorded in the Bible about the resurrection. Hear me, roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah promised that Jesus would be born into humble circumstances, he would live a simple life, he would die a brutal death, and then he would raise back to life to take away our sin. This is Isaiah chapter 53. And it happened just as Isaiah said. In addition to this, I wanna show you this, okay? Psalm 16. Verse 10, 100 years before Jesus walked on earth, God told us that he would live, die, and rise, that he didn't want us to miss this. The Bible is filled with promise and fulfillment, prophecy and fulfillment, a promise given by God and then a recording of Jesus fulfilling that so that we can know for certain who this Messiah is. But listen to Psalm 16, verse 10, for you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your holy one see decay. And so God was saying that he was sending someone who is the holy one, that we are the sinful ones and he is the holy one and that he was going to die and his body would be put into a grave but his body would not be left there but he would come back from death. This was God preparing all of humanity for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even more, if we look at the words of Jesus, Jesus even predicted his own resurrection on numerous occasions. Jesus spoke plainly and promised that he would die and then three days later he would rise. Look at Mark chapter eight. Jesus says this, and he began to teach then that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now think, Jesus dies on a Friday, he resurrects on a Sunday. He does exactly what he promised he would do. And we see statements like this all throughout the Gospels, guys. Prophecy was fulfilled and Jesus is alive. Number five, verse nine. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. All right, I just want you to consider the spread of courageous Christianity. Think about this. Before the resurrection, what were the disciples doing? Do you remember? They were hiding. They were afraid, they were just kind of cowards, they were full of fear. If you remember back to the crucifixion scene, upon the arrest and the death of Jesus, the disciples just kind of dispersed. They ran away in fear of being arrested and killed just like Jesus. They didn't want to tell people about Jesus, they didn't even want people to know that they knew Jesus, they were just scared. And we see this with Peter, whom Jesus is going to be crucified and Peter is kind of walking away, and this young woman comes up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? Don't you know him? And Peter, what does he say? He denies. He says, I don't know that guy. And two more times after that, they say, you're with that guy. And he curses them and says, I do not know that man Jesus. I am not with him. But what happens next? Jesus is killed. He comes back to life. He presents himself to his disciples and a bunch of other people, and all of a sudden, the disciples who were in hiding and fearful 
after seeing Jesus alive, they didn't fear death anymore. And like Peter, they get bold. The officials come to Peter and say, hey, we, no more talking about Jesus. We will kill you if you keep talking about Jesus. And Peter goes out and he starts telling people about Jesus. And Peter, like many, they're actually killed, they're martyred. All the apostles except one are killed for their faith. And as we look at Peter, this guy who is scared to death, it's crazy because as he is apprehended and says, I'm not gonna stop talking about Jesus, they're saying, we're gonna crucify you. And he's like, okay, here you go. Actually, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my friend, king, and savior, Jesus. Here's the question. How do you get a coward to be crucified upside down? Guys, it's the resurrection. And if you look to the book of Acts, the historical account of the early church, after the resurrection, we see that there were around 120 people that were following Jesus. But as all these people start seeing Jesus come back to life, they get bold and Christianity just explodes to a few billion people following Jesus today. Guys, there's no other explanation for the birth of Christianity apart from Jesus' resurrection. There's a professor at Cambridge University named C.F.D. Mole, and he says it like this, and I quote, the birth and the rapid rise of the Christian church remains an unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself, the resurrection. Doxa Church, Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. And then finally, number six, look at verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women, I want you to circle women, who told these things to the apostles. Okay, we just need to consider these women. Okay, women discovered the empty tomb. And in our day, guys, this might not seem like a big deal, but you need to understand in the first century, women were not highly esteemed and their testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law. All right, in fact, Jewish men, every single day in their daily prayers, they would thank God in the morning for not being born a Gentile, a non-Jew, or a woman. And I know, like, holy cow, really? You're gonna say that? Right. And this sounds crazy for us today, but this is historical facts. And I want you to understand this. It was Jesus and his teachings that brought about the empowerment and the dignity and the value of women. And you might hear, especially in a place like Madison, you might hear that Christianity oppresses women. I just need you to know that that is a lie. That everywhere Christianity goes, it in fact liberates women. And Jesus had women among his disciples, and they were the first to arrive at the empty tomb. These were the women. Jesus honored women and respected women and empowered women. But just consider this. Guys, in this time, if you were going to make up a story about a resurrected man, and if there was an attempt to kind of concoct this big, elaborate story to get everybody to believe a lie, you would never use women in this time. The fact that women are said to have been the first to arrive at Jesus' tomb is confirmation that the account of the Bible is actually factual and not contrived. And I hope that as you're hearing all of this and wrestling with what Luke is giving us, that you're beginning to have certainty the thought, the notion, the solid belief that Jesus is in fact alive, that the resurrection is true. 
And this all leads to this conclusion from Thomas Arnold, the former professor of modern history at Oxford University, who says this, and I quote, no single fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and rose from the dead. Doxa Church, Jesus is alive. Happy Easter. And so let me land the plane with one big question. So what? Okay, there's some of you here, I know, guys, it was not that long ago that I was sitting here and I would be asking that question, like, so what? Okay, maybe Jesus, okay, great. Maybe he did raise from the dead. The world is a crazy place. Crazy things happen, right? So what? Here's what you need to know. Two things. First, If Jesus is alive, this means that we listen to what he said. That Jesus said he was God, and then he proved it by resurrecting. Jesus said that we have sin in our life, and if it's not dealt with, it will keep us from God and land us eternally separated from him in hell. He said that despite all of our sin, that God loves us, that God loves you, And he said that the only way to fix our sin problem and to be with God for eternity is through him. And so if the resurrection is true, we listen to him and we come to him. If you don't know Jesus, I need you to know that you need Jesus above anything and everything. You need Jesus. And for your joy and for your eternity, you need to come to Jesus today. Let him save your life. We all need him. We're all sinful And that sin will keep you from him. And so come to Jesus today. And if you're like, how do I even do that? I'm compelled by the, I just need to know this. Paul, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Please grab a hold of that salvation today. That's what this whole thing is about. And then secondarily, If Jesus is alive, this means that resurrection power is available to us today. 